0: So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. It is a minor prophet in the Bible. Jonah chapter 4. We're going to look at the whole chapter. And we're continuing our series, City on a Hill, with part 2. And I want to talk about loving our city. Last week in our sermon series, City on a Hill, we talked about the importance of remembering our identity in the city and the influence that we have over the city, how we are the salt of the earth and a city on a hill. We are the light, the light of Christ that we shine brightly. Today, I want to close out by talking about what it really means to have God's heart, God's compassion for the city as he loves all cities. And more particularly, I believe he loves Hong Kong with everything that is going on. As I mentioned last week, there are more people moving into and living in cities today than any other time in history. This is very significant. That God is doing something; that He is bringing more people into the cities than ever before in the history of the world. Let me show you a graph. It says here this is by the UN uh, World Population Urbanization. One of the things that they have noted here is, if you could tell, like from 1500 all the way to even to the 1900s, you will see that people living in rural areas uh, was much greater than the urban areas but as soon as we get to the 2000s and then now it's predicted by 2050 that there will be more people on this earth living in urbanized centers or cities if you will than in any other place on the place of this planet uh on the face of this planet let me show you the second graph this is just hong kong and you will notice that Hong Kong pretty much is a city, and if you look at from the 1950s to the 1960s and the 1980s, there was still a good uh, there was a portion of people who still lived in the rural areas. But as time progressed and as Hong Kong is developing and has developed in so many ways, now you'll notice by 2050, every single person will live in an urbanized area. uh, Partly because we have no room for any rural stuff, you know? We're going to just start building upward. And so we have to remember that cities matter to God and it matters to culture. And the reason why is that there are, what? People in these cities. Because God cares about people and people matter to God. That's why as these people or all of us are in the cities, cities should matter to us. When I think about the relationship between the church and the city, there's some various views and attitudes which are just helpful to know and to kind of ask ourselves, what view do we hold? Well, first of all, all throughout history, we realize that the church and the city, they didn't necessarily have a good relationship. We see that sometimes the church despised the values of the city. So with that kind of attitude, what happens is that the church begins to have a fortress mentality. Like we need to protect the people, we need to have holiness. And so we don't engage the city. And you see this time and time again. Some of you grew up in churches like that where you didn't even know what was going on around in the city. Well, you didn't know the needs. You didn't know what was happening on the news because you were so entrenched like a fortress mentality of what's going on inside the church because we did not want to have some of those values of the cities or the secular world coming into the church. Another thing that I've seen over the years is that some sometimes the church they can have this mindset of duplicating the values of the cities and there's nothing wrong with trying to do certain things what i mean by that is having lights having music and all these different things because some of you, some people say wow the pre-christians come to our, sometimes come to our church in different locations and go it feels like i just went to a rave party you know with the, mm, 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 mm. and they're like wow you know and they're like this is awesome but no one is really Jumping up and down. Anyway, so, you know, so they're, they're thinking, oh, wait a minute. The church is too much like the world. And because of that, a lot of times I will say, even though I don't mind certain things that resemble, but a lot of times when you duplicate the world, you lose the essence of the message. People, they can find better things to do in the world than coming to church. Tell me like, really? Yes, really. Some of you have not experienced life. There are things out there you can do. That's so much more fun than coming to a Bible study. I'm just saying, I know some of you the spiritual people, you're getting really angry at me right now, but you know, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, there are people in this world that will say there are more fun things to do outside of the church than inside. But the problem is when we become too much like the world, Like we want to try to make everything secret sense, everything, all that stuff. Then what happens is when they come and really want to see because they've they've experienced all the things of the world and leaves them empty and they come here and they experience the same thing that they experience out in the world, they're going to be like, why to come to church? There has to be a different experience. Another thing that we see is that there are times when the church, they drain the resources of the city. We... Use a lot of the different resources of the city, but we don't know how to give back. So think about some of these park districts or different things that we have. Oh yeah, I'm paying taxes. So that's why all these things, but we just take and use rather than learning how to give back to the city and be a blessing in that way. And lastly, and this is what I'm hoping that our church will become more and more is that we are devoted to the city or we devote ourselves to the city. That means that we love the city and we're committed to doing what God is wanting us to do here in Hong Kong. That means joining with God with what He's already doing as He's moving in the hearts of people, that we become solutions and answers to prayer rather than complaining about everything that is happening. As many of you know, I don't know if I should, I might have shared this many times, So many of you know that my, my parents uh, had... Uh, Two stores at one time, but then they consolidated and they had a store in Southside Chicago. And those of you who don't know, Southside Chicago in the United States, already people are afraid of the United States because guns everywhere. But in Chicago, it has the highest homicide rate, murder rate. My parents were right in the smack middle of that. And they worked there for 20 some years. Every single day, Monday through Saturday, they gave their blood, sweat and tears. And I remember just kind of growing in that environment. And slowly with everything that has hap- have happened in that city and with my parents, like I started to grow a, a strong hatred towards a certain people group. And I began to look at the city as something that, you know, uh, you just kind of do what you need to do and pull out. And in fact, just truth be told, like for me, when I thought about the city, I only liked the good parts. With all the restaurants and the nice landscape and everything. But all these other parts of the city, I just despise. And I share this because what has happened was that it brought a lot of different fears in my own heart. Uh, Our store got into broken into at least once a month. And we have an alarm system that as soon as the alarm gets triggered, it calls our home. I remember just sleeping and it's like 1 or 2 in the morning and the phone rings. And I know that someone broke into our store. My dad almost passed away when some thugs came in and with a bat and hit him on the head. And the doctor said if it was like an inch lower, he would have passed away. And he was bleeding on the ground. And that's when he got enough consciousness where he actually called my mom. And I was at my mom's store right across the street. And she told me to run over and see my dad in that situation. You could tell how much fear and even anger that began to boil up inside my heart. And I think what really kept everything off was back in 1992. Those of you who are not familiar, back in 1992, there was something that happened in LA. It was called the LA riots, and a lot of the Latinos and the African Americans who lived in the Central LA—this is we're talking about—it's a really bad neighborhood. Uh, Koreans just love to go into bad neighborhoods. I don't know what it is, but uh, there were uh, there was a there were a lot of Korean stores, like grocery stores, beauty supply stores, jewelry, and handbags. And it was just known as Little Koreatown back in uh, back in the day in LA. Now it's completely transformed. But as they were there, th- those of you who might not know, uh, Rodney King was an African-American who was beaten by four police, white police officers. And someone captured that scene and it went viral. And this is pre all the internet stuff. It was just about to start. And so all these cameras and people on the news, it just went off like crazy and it blew up. And there were anger, anger that was building up inside of people that they already had. And then after the verdict was given that the four police officers were, were acquitted, they were declared as innocent and that they used the right amount of force to subdue him because he was on drugs and all this kind of stuff, like people just went crazy. And that's when they went into Koreatown and burned it down. They looted it. They burned it down. And after that, because it was about a week of this, I was still in university. This was my last year. And I was part of a life group and we were going to actually go outside and do something and we were going to do an activity. But then someone called us and said, don't go outside because there was a, a rapper who came into town at my university and they said everything that's going on right now, they blamed it on the Koreans, on the Asians. And so we, we were in that situation where this fear began to kind of overwhelm us. Like, oh, we don't want to go out because, you know, what if we get jumped or something happens to us? And this really kind of brought into greater focus even now. Because fast forward some years later, even in 98, there was a, there was a riot that happened in Indonesia that affected a lot of people. And what does it do? It produces fear. And now we look at what's going on in Hong Kong and it's producing fear in many of you. And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to show you this video clip. It's just, it was celebrating 25 years of the LA riots. And they give you little clips of what happened. They were trying to retell a little bit of the story. But the main part of this video is talking about how the neighborhood completely changed because of some of these guys who realized that we need to bring in community involvement and come together as a city in order to fight the different things that are going on. And it's not just about injustice, but injustice comes in so many different forms, even poverty and even different social systems that are built into the city. And so I want you to watch this. Like I said, some of it is a little bit dated, but this was my generation. I was in college back then. And this happening, what's happening in Hong Kong is defining you, those of you who are in college right now. So let's watch this together. Kind of looks familiar, huh? And it reminds me all the time, history repeats itself over and over again. Why? Because the depravity of humankind, that there is evil in all of our hearts regardless whether you're a Christian or not. I think it was an encouragement, at least for me, to see that the neighborhood that was once ravaged by riots, hatred, poverty, now has completely transformed into one that's thriving, and people have jobs. And I'm sure they still have evil in their hearts, and racism, and different things, but at least they have outlets now to better the city and help the people around That's why I think with everything that's going on in Hong Kong, it's my hope and prayer that we will see changes here as well. But I think in order for change to happen, I think you and I, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to rise up and be agents of God's love and compassion more than anything else. As I stated many times before, and I'll state it again, Is that we as a church, because we have people from both sides, we want to stay as neutral as possible because we believe that Satan loves to use disunity to break and to thwart the things that God is trying to do. And that's why we have stayed neutral as much as possible. But one of the things that we said that we will do is that when there is injustice, we will speak up. And so therefore, when we have seen violence on both sides, we have tried to address that. We have spoken, and some of you, I had personal conversations. Some of you might have talked with some of your leaders. And I know so for some of us in this room, it doesn't feel like a safe place because you go to school, you go to your workplace, and even though you might not agree with them, you're afraid to bring up things because why? Because certain people from the other side, whether it's the police or the government or even from those who are the local Hong Kong, they have strong opinions about this. And as I have said, I don't know if things are necessarily going to get better. There's going to be a a crossroad where something's going to happen. And the question is, are we ready, not only individually, but are we ready as a church? And the temptation is to flee, to run away. But this is the time when in the darkness, when the light has to shine that much more brighter. Can you imagine if all the Christians and all the people who are afraid, they all flee away? We see this all throughout history. They flee the city. And then what's left is devastation. And God's heart is for the city. And the question is, what are we doing as we think about the situation here? Once again, cities matter to God, therefore it should matter to us because God is doing something and we want to be, be, be a part of what God is doing. So let me give us the one thing, and then I want to talk about two things that we noticed from the story of Jonah in chapter 4. The one thing is simply this, that we're able to make history as we show God's love for the city. I want to talk about how this could be a very historical and monumental time in the history of Hong Kong, and you get to be a part of it, but it's not through your own wisdom or your own strength or protest alone, but there's a lot more involved in this. And so if we're serious about making history, then we need to be able to show and demonstrate God's love in this city. And I want to talk a little bit about how to do that and what we need to do as we look ahead. So let me talk about two things for us to remember about God's heart in order for us to show love in the city so that we can make history. The first thing that we will notice is God's conviction for cities, We have to understand God's conviction or God's heart for the city. Let me quickly summarize. The book of Jonah is about a prophet who was called to go to the city of Nineveh to share about the impending doom that was coming upon the people because they were living in sin. But Jonah, the prophet, was so upset that God would even think about saving this group of people. Because how in the world can he love and even not destroy? Well, how can he not destroy these people who have been so evil and have done so many bad things to the Israelite people? So what did Jonah do? Jonah ended up going to Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction of Nineveh, the very place that God was sending him. He went in the opposite direction. Let me show you a map so you kind of know what's going on here. and You'll see this. He was in Joppa and from there it's 550 miles. So that's about seven, some hundred kilometers to go to Nineveh. So God told him to go to Nineveh. Where does he end up going? Hello? 2,500 miles. Almost 3,000 something kilometers all the way over to Tarshish. This should tell you something. How upset he was that he wanted nothing to do with Nineveh. That he wanted to go to the furthest place that he knows on the planet Earth. And known at that time. So he goes all the way to the other side. Therefore, God had to use a storm and a large fish to bring him to a place of surrender. Can I just say this? God will use anything and everything to get your heart to a place where you obey. Not that he's a mean God. He's an angry God, but he wants something that is best for you. And every single time we choose what is not best, it breaks his heart. So he will use circumstances. He will use other people. He will use different things, failures to bring you to a place where you realize God, not my will but your will be done. And then Jonah, after being rescued, he went into Nineveh and finally shared God's message. And then the Ninevites, as we see in chapter three, repent and God spared them. This is when we come to chapter four in the story in the book of Jonah. And I want you to follow it as carefully as possible as I try to go through it verse by verse to understand this importance of Having God's heart, this God's conviction for the city. Let's go ahead and read verse one through one through four. Let me. This is what the word of God says. Jonah chapter four, verses one through four. It says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Let me just expound on these four verses quickly as I try to help build this Conviction, this idea that God's conviction for the city is important for us to understand. It, it's kind of interesting to see the response of Jonah after God decided to spare the Ninevites. Let me, let me highlight three things really quickly about his response that we read in verses 1 through 4. The first thing that we see is he expressed anger. That's the first thing. In verse 1, we notice that God's compassion and love for the Ninevites angered Jonah. To the point where he was furious and upset. It says exceedingly displeased. But why? This is the question. Why? And so in order to understand a little bit more about Jonah's response in his expressing anger, we have to know his mindset. What is going on? Jonah and the Israelite people had a very strong prejudice towards the Assyrians. Why? Because the Assyrians, if you know your Bible, they were enemies of Israel. They will come and they will try to murder them and take their lands and do all these things. So every single Israelite person, as they're growing up, they learn to hate the Assyrians. And all the evil things that the Assyrians did to the Israelite people. Can you imagine what it created such a strong animosity, hatred towards them, racism even towards them? Therefore, deep inside, Jonah felt as if Nineveh, which was a city in Assyria, should be destroyed. And that God should show no mercy. But guess what? God did show mercy. That's why Jonah was upset at God. Because he was just being God. He was merciful. I want to just pause here. And I don't know where you stand on the whole situation in Hong Kong. But a lot of times when you think about it, and I'm not saying it's necessarily justified because I'll talk about this Next, but whatever you're feeling, however angry you are on both sides, what you have to do is go one layer deeper and say why. And I will say even after you come up with the why, go one step even deeper. Let me first address those of you who are on the local side for the protest and you wear black, even black underwear if you have to, whatever it takes, you're wearing black. Let me just say this to you. Those of you who are local Hong Kong, and this is a country that you, or city that you just do not recognize anymore, and you are grieving and you are mourning, to you I will say this. As you go deeper and ask, why are you so angry? You can list all the things about poli- uh, police brutality, about the extradition bill. You can list all these things, but I want to ask you to go one step deeper. And if you go one step deeper, that's when it gets a little bit messy. That some of the anger is fueled by a lot of things. that If you're honest with yourself, you won't admit it, but you really believe a government that's, de- that's a democracy will save you. And I'm telling you right now, look at America, the founder of democracy. And look at where America is and all the different struggles and things that they're struggling with right now. It will not save you. You can have all the freedoms in the world, but if you don't have Jesus Christ in the wickedness of our own hearts, we will do things for the benefit of ourselves. That's my challenge. Those of you who are for the police and the government, even pro-Beijing, let me speak to you. As you go deeper, yeah, you can say all oh, this violence, look what they're doing to people, they're burning down. Man, I can't even get on the MTR, man. And you know, you're angry. I want to challenge you to go deeper. And when I say go deeper, you can get to the level of security. Or even, I would challenge us to say, maybe some of you put your loyalty to patriotism and nationalism above God. And those two extremes are not a biblical stance. I am not saying nationalism or patriotism is not, it's not a bad thing, especially if it's in a good context. I don't think democracy and having freedoms and different things that you can vote for and things like that, I think those are good things. In fact, those things are based on a Judeo-Christian value. But if you believe that through this and your anger comes out because you think it's going to save you, or that it's above Christ, there's a problem. As a follower of Jesus, I can understand if they're not a believer and that's all they have to hold on to. That, to me, I totally understand. I have compassion on people like that. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then there's something that says there's a greater city that I long for. There's a greater loyalty that I have. So he's expressing this anger because here's God showing mercy to a group of people that he felt that deserves death. So that was the deeper issue for him. He just hated the Syrians. The second thing that you will notice is that not only did he express anger, but he began to explain himself. Huh. This happens all the time, especially when we do certain things. We're trying to justify ourselves. Here he is trying to explain himself. When Jonah lifts up this interesting prayer, he, he, after he says, I am very displeased, he goes, I'm going to pray now. I mean, I don't know how he does it, but he must know how to shift gears really quickly. So he begins to pray, and this prayer is very interesting because he's trying to explain to God and justify his actions, why he went to Tarshish. So Jonah explains why he fled to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh. And in essence, what he's saying is this. He did not want the Ninevites to be saved and that he had no compassion on the Ninevites. That's what really was getting, surfacing to the top. In verse 2, bravo, you will notice when he sees Jonah, when we see Jonah, you know what he's doing? He is nearly quoting Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Joel chapter 2, verse 13. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17. Psalm 103, verse 8. Psalm 145, verse 8. Don't, you don't, we don't have time to look at all those verses, but all those verses are almost the very words that Jonah said about God's character. That he's gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So once again, God, I knew you were like this. That's why I went over here. Which shows how much hatred he had. The very thing that Jonah was afraid of happening just happened. Oh gosh, I pray that God will not save them. It happened. He's like, oh God, you saved them. Because of your character, God. And that's why he justified his disobedience. God, I hate these people. He didn't say it, but that's what he was saying. I hate these people. But I know that you're merciful, slow to anger, and you're all this. And you might possibly save them. Oh, Lord, Lord, please don't do it. But you might save them. So because of that, I'm going to disobey you and go all the way over here, 2,500 miles, all the way to Tarshish, so send somebody else, let someone else do it. How many times in our lives, when we know that we're disobeying God, we see the character of God, we see the heart of God towards something or for someone, but we... In our own volition of will, we decide to do something that is completely against his heart, but then we try to explain and justify. Well, I prayed about it. My, yeah, you prayed about it. You might have, who who did you pray to? Oh, I I talked to my friends. Like, who are your friends? Yeah, like, I, I, I talked to my parents and then, you know, are they followers of Jesus? Like we, we try to explain it. Yeah, I, I really feel convicted. I mean, we're not gonna try to change your mind. You you make your own decision. We're not we're not a cult controlling your life. But I will challenge you to think and ask you to go deeper in your heart. Stop explaining or justifying yourself. When it really comes down to your fear, whatever it is, your idolatry, your love for the world, whatever it is in your life. And then thirdly, he expressed not only anger and explaining himself, but he was a drama king. He elicited drama. Since God relented his wrath and did not destroy the city, Jonah felt so defeated that he lost all reason for living. So can you imagine him saying this? Just try to imagine, They're like, Oh my God, that's my roommate. That's my friend. Jonah wanted to die if God was going to dest- uh, was not going to destroy the Ninevites. That it's better for God to kill him. <laughs> He's like, God, I'm gonna die. I, I remember my kids would used to say things like that, especially when they couldn't get their French fries or they couldn't do all the stuff. They're like, I'm gonna die. And and by and by, and I go, No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not gonna die. Trust me, you're not going to die. I'm going to die, Dad. I'm going to die. What this shows is really a childish behavior and a self-centered response. It's not about you. You're not going to die. You see this in relationships all the time. When one person says, you know what? It's over. And the other person like, I'm going to die. You are not going to die. And please don't kill yourself. It's, there's so much more to life. This is where revenge porn, blackmailing people, this kind of stuff is childish. You're self-centered. You're thinking about yourself because you cannot get what you want. Let it go. And then if you look at verse 4, God asked Jonah a question. L- listen to the question. I'm going to read it in a couple different translations. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, Do you have a good reason to be angry? Yes, I do. The New Living Translation said, Is it right for you to be angry at this? Yes, it is. This question implied a negative response. No, God, we have no right to to be this angry. Expressing anger, explaining yourself, eliciting drama are all symptoms of a person who's self-centered and selfish. They're not able to think outside of their perspective and also of their little world. Just let me, let me continue to build up this case of God's conviction for the city. Let's read verse 5 through 9 quickly here. It says this, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant that made it come up over Jonah and it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Then the sun rose. God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked, that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And then verse nine, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do. No, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Check this out. (laughs) He preaches the message. Everyone is like, oh my God. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They repent. Like naturally, people will be like, thank you so much, Prophet Jonah, for coming and preaching. Please join our meal and we want to celebrate because you have saved our lives. What does Jonah do? He goes, I got to go. I have another appointment. See you. So he goes to the east side of the city. So he's outside of the city. He's probably perched up somewhere on a hill or something like that. And he's waiting and he builds this shelter. And he's waiting. So the question is, why is he waiting? What is he waiting for? Well, I I mean, it might be speculation, but as you think about this, he's probably still believing, God, please change your mind. Don't say, bring bring the fire. Bring the fire right now. So I'm going to remove myself because that dragon might come (gasps) and... Blow everything out. <laughs> so he's waiting. Sitting outside the city. He makes a shelter with branches and sits down with some shade. Huh. And he apparently had a clear view of the city, so he's waiting. And this is a teaching moment. Oh my goodness, this is so good. Jesus, mm. You know, when you taste like incredible like sugar or or chocolate or whatever it is, a food, delicacy, this is a teaching moment. So God wanted to illustrate what was going on in Jonah's heart, as well as to reiterate God's heart for the people. So what does he do? I want you to notice how many times the word appoint. Do you see the word appoint appears? He appointed a plant. He appointed a worm. He appointed the e-scorching wind. The reason why this is important is that word appoint means that God sovereignly was doing something to teach him something, to teach Jonah something. And then in verse 6, it specifically says to save him. God provided this plan to shade him, to save him from his discomfort. God, you're so crazy. Crazy good. Here's this little childish kid that you just want to beat up. You're like, gosh, just be quiet. And he decides even more childishly to go outside of the city. He goes, hey, I, don't want to, I don't want to be a part of that. But God, in his grace and mercy, what does he do? He wanted to make sure that Jonah does not go through discomfort. Amazing. Then the next day, a worm came and eat up. he ate the plant. And then a bright sun came to make him faint. And this wind came. Then Jonah said, and I hope you caught that in verse 8. Jonah said the same thing when God decided to save the Ninevite people. In verse 8, he says, it is better for me to die than to live. Then in verse 9, God asks him the same question as verse 4. That's why it's a teaching moment. You got to connect the dots. I'm going to read it from the NIV translation of verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine or the plant? He says, I do. I am angry enough to die. To you and I, the reader, it is so obvious that Jonah had no right to be angry. Why? Because the shade was provided by God. There was nothing that Jonah did. Nothing that Jonah deserved. But God graciously provided that. But sadly, in his pride, Jonah thought that he was entitled to the shade. That he was entitled to these things. Jonah so quickly forgotten about his disobedience to God when he went to Tarshish. And when he experienced his grace, when he was rescued from the whale and was given a second chance to obey. How many of us in this room have made mistakes? Then as soon as we see somebody else making a mistake, the same mistake that we made, we forget about the grace and the love and the patience that God had with us. Then all of a sudden, we get very judgmental. All of a sudden, we, we get very angry or just even to a point where we're just like, you know what, I don't want to deal with you. That's you. You're Jonah. And that's me. I'm Jonah. How many times have you sinned against God? Volitionally, you willingly knew it and you sinned against God. He could have destroyed you. But he was patient, loving, drew you back to him where you repented. And here's somebody that you see that you might not like. They're struggling with a sin in their life and you can't be patient. This highlights God's heart for people. No one is deserving of his mercy and grace, but God is compassionate and God is loving, even though the people are rebellious and have turned away. When we understand the gospel and we realize for ourselves that we're undeserving of this mercy and grace, then we would not object when God shows mercy to others. Right now in our city, there are a lot of people on the protester side who are so angry at the police officers, and you might be justified and rightly so. There are videos. There are certain things that we see. Sometimes when I watch the news, and uh, you know, with translation, and they're trying to explain that there was a yellow piece of object, I'm like, "Hello," I'm like, "Are you are you serious?" Like to the point, I'm just like, "Wow, this is incredible." And then on the other side, you see some of these other videos of just people just being violent. Now we don't know everything that happened. And you're thinking to yourself, it's easy to justify that if you're on this side. Well, because they did this to us, or they're not doing this for us. So you look at that evil behavior that some of those people on the protesters' sides are doing, and you justify that. In the same way, some of you who are here, you're able to justify certain things that are brutality that you, you know, here you are enjoying all the freedoms that you have in Hong Kong. And then you look at some of these people who are trying to fight for some of those things and then you're judging them. The point I'm trying to make is this. We need to understand God's heart. First of all, for ourselves, of His mercy and grace in our lives. Then we're going to be able to look at the other side in the situation with a little bit more compassion and with a little bit more love and patience. This is God's conviction for the city because cities are made up of people and people matter to God. Do you have this kind of conviction for the city of Hong Kong? That it's about not the buildings or the structure or the government alone, but it's about the people. And I want to challenge some of you who are angry on both sides or fearful on both sides. My challenge to you is this. How many of you, in the midst of your anger, in the midst of your fear, ever thought about how many of these people do not know Jesus Christ? The hearing of another person passing away, how many of you have ever thought like, did that person know Jesus Christ? Or if he didn't, he's going to spend a Christless eternity in hell. We're so self-centered. We think about ourselves, our rights, or our whatever it may be, and we forget to look at it from a kingdom perspective. The reason why city matters is because there are people in these cities who do not know Jesus Christ. I was just thinking some of these protesters who are so passionate about what they believe. I admire that. But I'm wondering if some of them can be that passionate about Jesus, what would happen? will change the world. We will change the world. That they're willing to die for something that they believe in. How many of us who are in the church right now have that kind of passion to die for what we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way? Please, I'm not trying to make some of you feel guilty in any way, but those of you who are driven by fear, That controls us more than the thought that there are people in the city that are going to pass away without knowing Jesus Christ. That's what bothers me. That you think about yourself already saved, or already saved, you're going to go to heaven, you're secure, and that you want your safety when there are people who are dying and might die in the future who don't know Jesus Christ. How self-centered, how selfish that is. Sorry, I'm just getting very passionate now. This thing hits its home in many different areas. There's a lot of biblical values, as well as just my love for the city, thinking about our mission to China. There's so many things involved, and that's why my heart is constantly churning every single time I watch the news or I check on my phone. And I'm just praying that the people of God who have this hope, whose lives are already We have died to ourselves. That it will burden us. It will break our hearts that there are people in this city who don't know Jesus Christ. Stop thinking about just yourself. Think about those who are lost. Misguided passion if they can only know Jesus. And that's why Secondly, as I close here quickly, this idea of God's not only conviction for the city because in the cities, people are there and people matter to God, but we see God's compassion for the cities and it's demonstrated here in this story. Let's close with verse 10 and 11. It says this, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not, Pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000. 120,000 persons. Sorry, who do not know their right hand from the left and also much cattle. I don't know why they put cattle in there. Uh, maybe they like hamburgers. Finally, God helps Jonah to recognize his own depravity, but also to see God's compassion. Thank you, bro. God wanted Jonah to see how his feelings were not justified because he did nothing to deserve this plant. Verse 10 in the message translation says this, and God said, what's this? How is it that you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a mere shade tree that you did nothing to get. You neither planted nor watered it. It grew up one night and it died the next. when you look at God's compassion for the city of Nineveh, man, you see God's concern for the people. The plant that Jonah was so concerned about was not his own. He didn't labor for it. He didn't work for it. He didn't make it grow. But the people of Nineveh, whom God had compassion on, were the work of his hands. What I mean by this is that God created these people. we should have given more reason to be concerned and compassionate on them. Even though you don't like what they're doing, they're made in the image of God. God created them. God was simply challenging Jonah to think about drawing the conclusion that the way that, listen to me, this is important, the way Jonah was so concerned about that plant He should have been concerned about the lost people. Do you see what Jesus or God is trying to compare and help him to see? Look at you. You get so angry and then you, first you get so angry and then you get happy because you get this shade and then you get angry again because it's no longer there. He goes, you care so much about this plant because once again, it's very self-centered. But here are these people that I created, that I love, that I'm concerned about. So shouldn't I, being God, have the prerogative to be able to show concern and compassion on these people because I'm sovereign? Who are you to tell me that I should not show mercy to these people? God was exposing exposing Jonah's heart by showing that he was more concerned about a plan than the welfare of people. Once again, shows his selfishness. There are some of you in this room, and I'll say it again, that you are so concerned about your safety rather than the millions of people who are dying without Jesus Christ. I'm saved, so if I die, I know where I'm going to be going. I'm not afraid of death. But some of you are so concerned about your safety, and I'm not saying that it's wrong. You should be wise. Don't do stupid stuff. Don't go into a crowd of... I understand all that. But some of you are so driven by fear. While you are a believer, you are saved. So if you were to die, you will spend the rest of eternity in heaven. But are you not concerned about the hundreds and thousands of people in this city, millions of people in this city who do not know Jesus Christ. And if they were to die, they will spend the rest of eternity in hell. That's what God is trying to wake up Jonah with. You care so much about your little plant, which is all about you, when here are these people that I created and I love, and you get angry at that because I show mercy. This highlights the compassion of God that many of us, we need to pray for. And then not only God's concern for the people, but we see his care. God was trying to help Jonah to see the proportionality. Listen, this is important. The proportionality of his love. What do I mean? What God was saying is this. The plant showed God's compassion for one person. Jonah, I love you. So I'm going to put a plant over you to shade you, to comfort you. I'm going to show you my compassion and my care and my love for you. So you see God individually loving and caring for people. But then he also says, but there's 120,000 people that I created that my compassion goes to them as well. Some commentator says that number 120 did not include women and children. Who knows? But still a lot of people. The phrase, they do not know their right hand from the left is a reference to people who are living in spiritual darkness. That's why God is trying to wake up Jonah. I loved you as an individual because I gave you shade with this plant. And you got angry when it was gone because you felt so entitled to it. And you felt like these people didn't deserve it. But here are 120,000 people who don't know their left hand from their right who are living in spiritual darkness and you just don't care. Why is this all important to us? Let me just bring all this together. Listen to me carefully. When you look at the whole Bible, you will see that it begins in a garden, the Garden of Eden, But then in Revelation chapter 21, 22, it ends in a city, an eternal city. That means that from the garden, God's heart was to expand out and to build cities so that it will reflect the eternal city that is to come. Abraham, the father of our faith, was dreaming about this eternal city and he mentioned that it was mentioned in Revelation chapter 21. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. In the NIV, read it in the yellow with me. It says this, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Because he knew that the city here on this earth is going to all pass away, but there's a greater city whose architect, a designer, and the builder is God. But as we are waiting for this eternal city to come, the Israelites were building and blessing cities That they were located in. And to show God's purpose for this eternal city. That's why when they were taken to exile in Babylonia. What happened? The prophet Jeremiah told the people. To have a different mindset. While you are here. Live in the city. Bless the city. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 7 in the NIV reading the yellow with me. It says this. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. He is saying be the light in the city. Bless it. Pray for it. Live in it. Do whatever you can to pray for this peace so that it will reflect the eternal city. Even in the early church, they grew by focusing on the cities. In Paul's all his missionary journeys, he went to cities to preach the gospel because there were many who did not know their right hand from their left. But this is the most important part. In this story of Jonah, you see the reminder for us of the life of Jesus. Do you guys remember earlier? Jonah went outside of the city because he wanted the city to burn down. But Jesus, he went outside the gates of the city to be crucified so that people can live. Now the challenge for us is that are we willing to be different as we are in the city and to demonstrate God's love and compassion? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12 in the New Living Translation, so also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gaze to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to our home yet to come. What a great reminder when we all want to flee from the city because it was all about us and our safety. Jesus Christ, went outside of the gate to be sacrificial, and he died so that people in the city can live. I pray that all of us will have that kind of mindset and attitude as we look ahead to everything that might come in the city. Will it be scary? Yes. Will it probably get more dangerous? Probably. Will more lives be at stake? Maybe. Will will the Chinese government bring down their... PLA from Shenzhen, most likely if it continues in this direction. And all I can say is, I don't know what that means for our church. I don't know what that means for our future vision of the circle. But all I know is more than your politics, more than your own personal safety and your own personal feeling, what should concern you about the city is the people, the 7.4 million people and many of them do not know their right hand from their left. May we be those people who will show and demonstrate God's compassion and His love so that through that they will come to know Jesus Christ. That's why even when I think about Harvest Games, people are like, why are we having this? Well, I'm thinking we want to build community so anybody who is feeling hopeless or feeling scared or whatever it is, they can have a community here that will share with them about this eternal city, the hope of Jesus Christ. And that's why we are not going to allow Satan to allow fear or anything else to hinder us to do what he has called us to do by the grace of God. That's why the one thing, once again, is that we're able to make history as we show God's love for the city. Can I just give you quick things here to think about? And then I want to close with this next video that will hopefully help us to summarize everything. First of all, dialogue with people. Have discussions. I think one of the best ways is instead of giving your opinion, listen to people. Listen to some of their fears, some of of the things that they're going through. Because that will help you to better minister to them. So dialogue with people. Even those people you might disagree with, just listen to them. And the more you can understand their heart, the more you can share the gospel in a way that they can understand. So this coming week, with all the stuff that might happen, have some good dialogue with people. The second thing is this. Deny the temptation to react in the flesh. Like some of us want to react in the flesh because we're angry or whatever the case may be. You have to fight that and allow God's peace, God's love to fill your heart. There are many times when I feel angry at different things, but you got to fight that. So pray and ask God to help you. I would also say some of us in in, in our fear, we're making some unwise decisions. You're not thinking about the whole picture. So some of you are trapped. You don't want to go out and do this. You don't want, and so you're pretty much living in your dorm room or in your apartment doing nothing. And so once again, I'm not saying be reckless, but can't you see you're missing out on so many other opportunities to minister to people because you're driven by fear. And can I also say those of you who are students here, what do you think your parents see? Like that's why some of you are like, what's going? What? Because all the pictures that and the videos that they see are all the crazy stuff. So they're thinking everywhere in Hong Kong. Like I mean, my goodness. Like, then we shouldn't even be here. We could just walk around. Those of us who are here on the ground, you know it's not like that. Only in certain places. And when you're wise, you avoid some of those places. But with your parents, all they see is it's not that. Well. That's why they call you every hour. Are you home? Are you home? Are you okay? Mom, Dad, just leave me alone. I'm okay. They won't allow you to do anything. You can't go out and because your life group is hanging out. You can't go out to that. Deny the temptation. Resist this. To say, I will not allow Satan to have a stronghold in my life. Grip me with fear. I want to do the will of God. And my life is not in my own hands. You can be the safest person and you can die. You're walking down the street, something falls from the roof, hits you on the head, you die instantly. You can't control those things. That's why you got to learn how to trust and have faith In God, your future is not in your hands. It's in the hands of God. So will you trust Him or will you trust yourself? And lastly, demonstrate God's love tangibly. I want to encourage you, find some way. That's why I am so blessed as I've been reading some of the different news and watching the different videos, and I want to show you this. It's a clip of, there's a group of Christians who are going around some of these protests and they're singing a song, sing hallelujah to the Lord. I don't know how many of you guys heard about it. And their belief is, uh, at first, when I saw that, I'm like, oh my God, ugh, everything that I just don't like about Christians and how sing hallelujah to the Lord. I'm like, what is that going to do, uh, you know? But then God rebuked me. You know why God rebuked? Because my cynicism and I am like, that's so dumb, nothing. Like, sing. I like, who hallelujah? Who? No one knows. Don't. No I'm like, what is? Mm. Anyway, very churchy, very whatever. But then God rebuked me because God just like smacked me over the head—not physically, but just you know when your brain just goes—you have one of those brain triangulation. you it's know, just like, do you remember the story of Jer- Jericho? Yes, Lord. What did they do? Oh, they walked around seven times singing songs, and the walls came down. Oh <laughs> my like, God, forgive me. <laughs> So I'm like, how do you practice a song, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then it gave me a whole new perspective. Wow, people going on the streets just sing, even though people think they're crazy or whatever, we're actually covering that place with God's presence, with his praise. And they're at the protest, but they're also blessing the police, the government. And some of these people come there and also provide water and energy drinks. And as I think about that, I realize, wow, they're not doing much in the world's eyes, but they're doing something. And I pray that we'll have that kind of heart because we love the city because the city is made up of people and people matter to God. Therefore, cities matter to us. Let's watch this and we'll close. Amen, let's stand together as we close. Some of them were singing off key, but praise the Lord. (laughs) It comes from the heart. This is, my, this is my desire for every single one of you. That because you've experienced this amazing grace and the love of God, and now your security, eternal security is set in heaven that you will fear nothing. And that you will be so passionate as you carry God's compassion to those people who do not know their right hand from their left. This is why we are here on this earth. We are the city on this hill to shine brightly in this dark world. And I know that might mean different things to some of you. because You believe protesting, and maybe not violently, is the way to express it. But once again, I want you to check your heart to see if you feel like, are you really putting your trust in democracy more than in Jesus Christ? Some of you are against those people who are fighting for something. But here you are enjoying the freedoms of uncensored internet and so many other things that people gave their blood, sweat, and tears for, fought for. And to judge the other side, all I can say to you is once again, go deeper. Are you driven more by patriotism, nationalism, because that cannot supersede our loyalty to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. I just pray that no matter where you are, that all of our hearts as a church will be concerned about those who are lost who don't know Jesus Christ. 7.4 million people in this great city of Hong Kong. May we not be apathetic. May we not just think about ourselves, but let's think outside of ourselves. Start having the dialogue with people. Deny that temptation to try to do things just for yourself. And demonstrate God's love in a tangible way this coming week. One way to do it is even during Harvest Games. I don't think we'll sing that song, but you know what I'm talking about. Find some tangible way. Maybe at work, co-workers, people are afraid. Give them some reminders of just the peace of God. There's so many things you can do. Some of you guys have better ideas than I could come up with. Just do it. Obey God. And I believe blessings will come. Let me pray for us. And I know it'll be so easy just to walk away from here and another Sunday celebration, but I just feel this burden in my heart and just as I was talking to Pastor Bow just right now, I think it'll be good if we can actually spend some time together collectively, there's power in corporate unity and corporate prayer. We want to bless this city. We want to pray for this city. We want to pray for the end of the violence. And we want this to be a pivotal moment in history that more people will come to know Jesus Christ than ever before. I'm hearing about churches that are experiencing revival. People are more serious about their faith than ever before. So God, even in the midst of all this stuff, you're still in control. You're even using evil for something that's good. You're awakening the churches. You're bringing people into a relationship with you. You're causing people who have drifted away or been apathetic to awaken to their purpose. I just pray for our church, Father, and I pray that you will unite us together. I pray, God, that we will not be driven by fear, make decisions out of our own selfish and our own safety, self-preservation, but, Lord, help us to think about our mission and what we are called to do. And our hearts grieve and our hearts mourn for everything that's going on. This is not the city, Lord, that I came to back in 2015, and this is not the city that some of the brothers and sisters who are local Hong Kong it must hurt them even greater. And I just pray that you remind us that you are the God of the city. May you, Lord God, remind us, strengthen us so that we can be your agents to go out and shine the light of Christ. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. May we make history. And when history looks back at us, that will say there were churches and Christ followers who prayed and there was change. Have your way, Lord God. We know that a little bit beyond Hong Kong there's 1.6, 1.7 billion people who do not know you. And 53% of the world's population in a circle where Hong Kong is in the center. So we pray, God, we will never lose sight of our mission and vision. It's beyond us, Lord. It's all about you. It's about your glory. And I pray that we will follow you. Let's declare this song to the Lord, that he's our way maker. And we're going to believe that he's going to make a way for us as a church. He's going to make a way for the city, make a way for those of us who are feeling scared Because He always keeps His promises. So will you just sing these songs as declaration, as prayers. Let's believe those walls will come down. Let's sing it from our hearts.